Good morning. It's an honor. It's an honor to be here again this morning and worship with you. Thank you to the musicians and singers this morning. What a blessing just to be able to gather with God's people and sing praises to Him and and to hear the songs and to sing them and to learn through music, to worship through music. Such a blessing. The message this morning in the equipping hour was also a blessing of the Holy Spirit and His role. I mean, how much, I mean, I, I just love to hear those things. I mean, that's not natural. It's not natural for me to love to hear of good things. And so it's amazing just to be here and for my heart to be um, happy, my heart to be joyed because we're singing of true goodness is such an amazing thing. I mean, that should cause us alone to praise God. Because apart from Him, apart from the Holy Spirit, we would not do that. We would be like the rest of the world out here doing what was right in our own mind, and it would be evil and it would be terrible. And so it's such a blessing just to be reminded of that uh, this morning. I'm going to be in First Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> This, the book of Peter has been um, very convicting for me to go through and unpack and, and study. And this section, probably verses 1 through 5, have been the most convicting yet. And Randy's smiling, he knows. Um... This is this is probably more for me this morning than it is for you, but it's still God's word, and hopefully you can still learn, and we can we can draw closer to Christ through this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> Before we get started, I'd just like to pray, Father, God, I pray above all this morning. First of all, I just thank you for your glory and your majesty, and your holiness, and and for revealing that to us. God, it's just such a blessing to be able to know you. And I pray, God, above all for me to have humility in this as I teach this, but in my life. Lord, as I, as I go through this, I realize how much I lack humility how prideful I truly am, and and God, I just pray, Lord, that you would grant me repentance of that, and that you would truly allow me to put on humility as this passage demands of me. And I pray that would be uh, the case with everyone here this morning, that it would be a message for them, that we could better serve you, and that we could better honor you, and that we could better represent you to this dying world because of that humility, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Chapter 5, verse 1, 
he says, So I I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Going back through the book of Peter, he has addressed individual groups of people. He addressed husbands. He addressed wives. Um, and then he addressed, in chapter 4, he kind of went back to the entire group. And now he's going back to this individual group that he's exhorting the elders which are among you. That's to strongly encourage. And he's going to give some instruction here for the, for the pastors, for the elders. And you notice there it says elders, as in plural, and we haven't done a lot of teaching on this, but this is one of the passages, and there's many, that suggest that the church is to have a plurality of leadership. And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why, and I'm not going to go into that, that's a sermon by itself, but one of the reasons why is because it's an interesting thing, and I'm going to make some comparisons today on being a shepherd of a, as Christ has given us a flock, to what he compares it to, which is raising sheep. I'm going to make some comparisons of that today. But where we have a difference is we are sheep trying to lead sheep. And so why is there a plurality of elders? Because I need leadership. And Randy does. And we need each other. And so it's not just one, it's plural. And I, and I think Peter says that here. He says, I exhort the elders among you, not a single, but a plural. And then he says that he is a fellow elder. And this is an interesting thing if you think about this, because we know that Peter was an apostle, but he was also a pastor. Um, but he, I, I think here he is exercising great humility and saying, I am just like you. And if anybody was had a chance to be puffed up in pride, you have Paul, who I think would have had that chance, and then you have Peter, who when you go back and you look at Peter's life with Christ, he had his issues, sure, but you talk about a guy who was in love with Jesus. And it was very obvious that he was. And he was made the apostle. And Jesus told him himself, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he says, upon this rock I will build my church. I mean, he, Peter was there for that. He is an apostle. But what does he compare himself? He says, I am a fellow elder. I'm on your level. I know what you're going through. I, th- I think this is great humility, by the way, he does this. And he's going to, I think the instruction that he's going to give is a perfect example of leading by example. He does not just tell them, hey, this is what you should do. Have you ever known somebody that does that? Do what I say, not what I do kind of thing? I mean, we, we probably all have. That's not the heart of Peter here, obviously, as he's written this whole book. But it, So he's bringing himself, and he, and he compares himself to them. And then he reminds us, in this first verse, I mean, you just look at this. He says, fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He reminds us that he was indeed there. He saw this with his own eyes. And I think we would do well to think about, to ponder, to meditate 
on those events that happened and not have them in a, in kind of so far away that it's kind of detached from reality, but to bring them right up to the forefront and to think about Peter, to rem- rem- remember that Peter was right there and saw it all happen. The Creator being punished, being whipped, being bruised, being persecuted, being mocked. He saw it all with his own eyes. Can you imagine the the thought of that? To be able to see it. We all picture it. When you read it, you have a picture in your mind. But you know when you read a book and then you see maybe what really happened. Like you read a book and it describes a place and you have a picture in your mind and then you go to the place and it's nothing like it. Well, Peter knew exactly what it looked like to see our Lord suffer. And so he's turning back, he's, he, and as, as he's done throughout the book of Peter, as he gives instruction, he points them back to the gospel. As he gives exhortation, he points them back to the gospel. And that's what he's doing here to, for a brief moment. He was there to witness the suffering of Christ on our behalf. And he understands that as he goes to the next part of that verse. As well, he was, he was there to witness, and now he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So not only did he witness, he's saying, not only did I witness the suffering, but I am a partaker in the reason for the suffering. And we all, if you're in Christ today, are partakers of the glory of the reason of his suffering. Let it not be in vain in your life. Let it not be in vain in each of our lives. Let it not be in vain in the body of in this body right here today. He suffered for a reason. And it was so that we could partake in the glory. Why are we walking around like we're defeated? I mean, why why do we do that? He has already won. And and Peter's just a quick reminder reminder of that in one little verse he he brings that out. The glory will be revealed. Christ will return. It's just as if, it, as if it's already happened. We just haven't seen it yet. And we can all be partakers of that. And then look at verse 2. He says, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And this is the part where the conviction really sets in. <clears throat> I thought about the job of a shepherd. Um, if you will, turn to John 21. John 21 and verse 15. It says, so when they, they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again, second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. In verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. 
you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so now, as Jesus did, Peter is skillfully comparing that role to a shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock of God. So Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep, and now Peter's telling pastors, the elders, he's exhorting them to shepherd the flock of God. So I thought of the job of a shepherd. And and what does it mean to be a shepherd? Now, notice before we get into that, notice that the flock of the flock that he's referring to here is the flock that belongs to who? It belongs to God. We are all God's sheep. We are all He is the great shepherd. And he's, he's a, he has placed certain men in a role, a temporary role on this earth to help to lead those individual groups. And he takes this job, he takes this position very seriously. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23. <clears throat> 23 verse 1 He says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. This is serious. This is serious business. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. And I certainly don't want to be in that category ever, that would be woe to me. And I don't want you to be. But take take um, comfort in the fact that you do have the great shepherd overseeing your shepherds. You have the great shepherd overseeing your flock, ultimately. But he's given us instruction. And then look at Acts 20, Acts chapter 20. Verse 28, he gives more instruction um, to the elders of the church. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so to think about that, this flock is God's flock. He purchased it with his blood, and then he has given some a privilege, an honor, and a great responsibility to oversee it. 
So I thought about how would I tend if this was if this was sheep and I, and somebody who I loved dearly, and somebody I cared about, and somebody who I, I honored left me in charge of their sheep. How would I tend to them? With feeding livestock, and I have a little experience in this. With feeding livestock, there's certain ways that it can be done that will sustain life. You can keep the animals alive by feeding them this way. And then there's another way that it can be done that will stimulate growth. And I I think we see both within um, the pulpit, within bodies of Christ. And I certainly want to be in the camp that would stimulate growth. But I I tell my students, um, if you don't know, I'm an ag teacher, and so I teach kids how to feed livestock. It's part of my job. And I tell students... When they get an animal and they're, I'm going to teach them how to feed it out. And I tell them that they need to feed their animals every day. Right? Okay, every day it needs to be fed. This means two absolutely different things to two different people. Okay? The first, um, well, some of them will take that, that as a need to care for the animal and make sure it has the right amount of feed and make sure it has f- fresh and clean water every day and make sure that it has the appetite to eat. They're going to care for the animal. They're going to feed it every day. And others take this as I'm going to make, I'm going to feed it every day. So they walk out to the barn, throw the feed in, and they're gone. Right? And there's, there's major, two major different things, although when you ask him, do you feed, feed your sheep today? Yeah. Is it all right? Yeah. Yeah, everything's fine. You ask the other one, did you feed your sheep today? Yeah. Everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. They both have the same answers, but I can go to the barn and I can see the difference. The first one pays close attention to how the sheep eats and drinks. That student will walk in and he will put the feed in the trough and he'll watch the lamb come over. He'll come out, and it's, it, they'll do the same. They'll come out. They get in a pattern. They're happy to see their shepherd. And they'll come over, and they'll begin to eat the food. And, everything, and, he'll, and he'll observe, and he'll watch, and he'll check the water. Okay, they have good water. It's fresh. It's clean. That same one will also notice when something is wrong with the lamb, and they'll start to find out why. Why? Because they care about the sheep. They don't want it to suffer. It's their responsibility. They've invested in it. They don't want to lose it. And so they will notice when something's wrong, and they'll start to examine why. And many times, that means they'll call me, and I'm going to help them figure it out. Um, They pay close attention to the growth of the animal. The really good ones weigh them on a regular basis, and will keep track of how much they're gaining each week based on how much they're eating. Is this food they're eating, is it good for them? Are they eating it? Um, And if they're not growing the way they expect them to, they start to examine why, what's going on here. The second one, the second one that feeds the sheep is too busy with other things to pay the proper attention to their animal. I find with students it's usually video games or texting or whatever they do with that. Thing. But it could be a, it could be a lot of different things, but that seems to be the distraction these days. So instead of putting the food in there and watching the lamb come eat it, they just throw the feed in there. The lamb may or may not come out of its house, but it doesn't matter. I fed it. I fed the sheep today. 
Well, it may be sick in there, but I fed it. You told me to feed it every day. I fed it, right? Sometimes they throw the feed in there and they don't even realize that there was feed left in it from the day before because the sheep did not eat. And the good one notices immediately, hey, he didn't eat all its feed, something's wrong. They may know the, the animal may not be growing properly, even though they're feeding it because of other factors like internal parasites. We call them worms. They're, they're parasites that get in and are, are feeding off of the body of the lamb. Or external parasites, things that are attacking it, flies and mites and all kinds of different things that get come after sheep. Ronnie taught not too long on the 23rd, not too long ago on the 23rd Psalm, and that was part of the shepherd was to anoint his head to keep the, the flies and things from bothering him. Well, that may be going on, and the first one will notice, okay, something's wrong. They're not gaining weight even though they're eating. Well, that's because something else is eating their food after it goes inside them. Or something's wrong, it's not eating its food. It, well, it may be because all these flies are buzzing its head all the time and driving it crazy. It can't eat. And I thought, this is so simple for me to see in livestock. I can see it clear as day. I know what it takes. And I thought, if, if somebody that I love dearly left me their sheep, their flock, I would do that. I would be that first one. I would feed them every day. And if anything was wrong, I would immediately call that owner. Hey, there's something wrong with the sheep. I think it's this. What do you want me to do? How do I deal with this? And I thought, man... If I would just take this attitude with God's flock. If something's wrong, I should immediately go to the shepherd, the great shepherd, in prayer and seek him. He's saying, shepherd this flock like you care. Shepherd the flock not out of obligation. If, if somebody that I cared about, let's say it was my dad, left me his sheep to take care of while he was away. I would not do it like, oh. I would be honored that he asked me. Or if it was somebody who is a prominent sheep breeder or something like that, and they asked, hey, will you take care of my sheep? Wow, that's an honor. You would trust me with them? You know more about sheep than I've ever known. And you're going to trust them with me? I don't want to mess this up. I want to take heed. I want to be careful. I want to take care of them. I want to make, they'll have the best water. There will never be anything growing in that tank. I'll clean it out. I'll make sure that they've had the proper medication. I'll make sure that they are not sick. And if they get sick, I'm going to give them the best veterinarian, the veterinarian, all those things. And yet, here I am in a spiritual position. And God has entrusted me with, with his flock, if you will. And I feel like I just have been missing this. I've been missing the point so often. And I could go on and on about the comparisons of sheep, but the truth is I'm, I'm a sheep as well. It's like I started out saying, and there's times when I got the parasites attacking me, and that's why we need each other. And that's why we have the great shepherd who we can go directly to. So thank God that you don't have to go through a man to get to the, the great shepherd. But also thank God that you have men who are there to help you with that. And, and it, was just, it was very convicting to me 
to think of that. And then he goes on, he gives us more instruction. In verse 3 he says, not, well, in verse 2 he says, not by compulsion, but willingly. Willingly. And that's how I would be in this physical state. So how much more should it be in this spiritual state that I would willingly accept this responsibility? And he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And I think we have a problem in the American church today, and not everywhere, but I think there's people who are filling pastoral roles who are doing it because it's their job. And I'm not saying, um, certainly not everybody, certainly everybody that's full-time pastor does not fit into that role. But there are people who, are, that, is, that is the reason they do it. And Peter is very clearly saying, don't do it for that. And then you can look farther. You can look into, um, well, not, you don't have to look very far to find people who are doing it for dishonest gain. So don't be a, he's saying, don't be a shepherd here because you're a hireling. You know, the best shepherds treated their sheep like they were their own, not like they're hired to do it. If you're a hireling, you'll run away from the wolves. But if they're your sheep, if you run away from the wolves, you lose your livelihood and you starve to death anyway. So it's better for the wolves to devour you than to run away if, they, if you own them. And so just, just that alone, just do, the, doing it just because you're a hireling, is one thing. But then you have people who are doing it for dishonest gain. You have people who are intentionally misleading great numbers of people so that they can gain financially from it. And that, obviously, Peter's speaking against. And, and my suggestion for anybody here would be to avoid those. Learn to discern that. Seek out scripture. Seek out godly counsel to learn to discern when somebody is trying to um, manipulate, manipulate you in order that you would, they would be prosperous, especially financially. But even positionally, people seek uh, power and they want to manipulate you so that they have a power over you. But, but Peter's saying here, not for dishonest gain. And then in verse 3 he says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Have you ever been around a pastor who seems to like the fact that they are in charge? Have you ever had a boss that way? That kind of feeds off that power? Kind of really likes to be the guy giving the commands? Oh, he's laughing. I hope he's not laughing about Tyler. <laughs> Uh, no, but we've all probably been around those people. Somebody that gets into a power a position of power and they just like it and they drink it up. And if you've ever seen a pastor that way, it's really heartbreaking. It's angering in a way, but it's heartbreaking because it's like it's exactly what Peter is saying not to do here, domineering over those in your charge. And I thought about the comparison again to the sheep. And, and if you've ever been around sheep, they are, other than a chicken, they're probably the dumbest animal on the farm. And I'm not sure. A chicken may be smarter than a sheep. I mean, I, I mean, literally, I've seen them run into the wall so hard that they'll almost knock themselves out. And I've heard stories of them breaking their neck that way because they're scared of you. But then as soon as you catch them, they're just, they don't fight you anymore. They're dumb animals. Could not survive without a shepherd. No way. 
But once you learn how to handle them, if you try to drive them, if you got a bunch of sheep and you're going to try to get them through this gate, and you go out there by yourself and you try to hurt them, it ain't happening. You'll, they'll, I mean, you'll get, it's just, it won't work. That's why people use dogs and stuff like that, because dogs are much faster than we are. But the better way to do it, one, one time we were out weighing a bunch of lambs for a student. I had two guys helping me. We had them in a little pen. We had the scales set up. And we put one in the scales and we're weighing it. And one of the kids left the gate open. And all there was about eight or nine sheep bolt out into the pasture, about 30, 40 acres, just wide open. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? I said, that's no problem. It was no problem because we had one in the scales. So I took, open the scales up, take the lamb out there, walk it out in the pasture. It starts starts baying a little bit. Pretty soon they all look up, and here they come running. And what I do, I led them right back into the corral. They followed him right in. It's much easier to lead sheep than to push sheep. It's much easier to get them to follow you through a gate than to drive them through a gate. And I thought, here, here, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying, not domineering over those in charge of you, not telling you, do this, do this, do this, but being examples and leading. Leading the flock by example um, to get them to follow Christ. Paul said, be a follower of me as I am of Christ. And that's our charge. Um, And then look at verse 4. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. The ESV says the unfading crown of glory. And this, to any pastor, is an extremely humbling verse. He's, Peter is saying, if you do these things, if you lead these people, if you, if you shepherd this flock in a way that is humble, if you shepherd this flock in a way that is eager and willing and loving, then you will receive an unfading crown of glory. He will reward you. It's humbling in the fact that it's a great reminder of the great responsibility Christ has left to the elders. Christ has left to the pastors. But it's a very, very sobering thought to consider the alternative to this passage. If we don't follow the instructions in the previous verses, how is this meeting with the shepherd going to be? And I I fear, and I certainly, that's why we approach this with great fear and trembling, to preach the word of God, to rightly divide the word of truth, because it's a great responsibility and we will give an account for what we say and what we do and if our lives line up with what we say and if we lead by example and not by domineering. And it's also a very, very fearful thing to look at and see the things that are going on by other men who claim to be men of God. Because they will give a more of an account for what they're doing because they're doing it in the name of the Lord and they're doing it in the name of a pulpit as a pastor. 
And when he comes back, there's either going to be a reward or there's going to be punishment. There is no in-between here. And of course, just like we heard this morning, any of this, any of this capability, any leading that we are able to do, any teaching that we are able to do is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. It's just like I, I was sitting here thinking, there's no way I would naturally even enjoy hearing about God. No, my nature was against God. But now, because he's changed me and he's given me his Holy Spirit, now I love to hear about it. And he teaches me more and I want to hear more. And then he enables us to teach. And he enables us, just like the gifts that Randy was talking about, we're each equipped with gifts. And those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And don't, don't get proud in those, but be thankful for them and then use them for the edifying of the body. But it is a sobering thought to think he is, he's coming back. He is returning. It's like, I mean, just picture it. you got this flock of sheep here. And the shepherd comes back. And he's like, well, how long has that one been sick? I, I, I didn't really notice. I just, I was feeding them every day. Right? He said, feed my lambs. Ten. When, he, when he talked there to Peter, he said, feed my lambs. And then he said, tend my sheep. And I see a difference. I see a difference. It's not just feeding. It's not just check mark, check mark, check mark. Okay, God, I'm good. And go back to doing this. No, it's a constant study. It's a, it's a meditation. It's an observation of what's going on. How long has that one been sick? He just showed up that, that way this morning. I knew you were coming home, so I knew it would be okay. I knew you would be here to, to help him because you know more than I do. How long has that one been sick? Well, that's the one I talked to you about yesterday. You know? This one hasn't been eaten, and, and I've, I found that he has... He had flies, and we we sprayed him, and so now the flies are gone. He started eating again today, and and you can go through sheep by sheep and tell him how they've been doing. This one's gained this much weight. He's really growing good. This one, and you and each one is individual. Wouldn't that be how I would want to answer to a shepherd that I was watching after his sheep? Isn't that how I should be able to answer in a spiritual sense when he comes back? And then in verse five. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So just as the elders have this huge responsibility, Peter now says, those of you in the congregation, he, he says that you should be subject to this leadership. Why? Why? Because they are, we are trying to help you grow. And no, not, we would never claim to be perfect in this. And that's another reason why there's a plurality. You wouldn't believe how much we discuss things. You wouldn't believe how much I've learned from Randy this last year. We've been here, we've been merged together for right out a year now. You wouldn't believe how much I've learned from him, from him instructing me and from me observing him. And just the the and Ronnie the same way the the innate the the talks that we've had and there's times when I feel like the parasites the flies are just driving me crazy and one of them will give me a word of encouragement so we don't claim 
to be perfect, but we do claim to care. And we do claim that we are trying to help you through this. And regardless of our capability, because the Holy Spirit has placed us in this role, He will enable that. And so why should you be subject to this? Well, that's because it's God's design. And it will help you grow. That's what he's saying here. Be subject to the elders. And then he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Each and every believer, this is, he, he goes back to everyone here, all of you. Not, this is not addressing an individual group anymore. This is talking to every believer in this place. It's talking to every believer in history. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. How many problems have we brought on ourselves because of our wretched pride? Have you ever just stopped to think? Almost every problem, issue I've had in this life was somehow dealing with pride because of my own pride. How many hours of frustration and anxiety have I wasted because of this great lack of humility? The great elusive sin of pride. It masks itself in so many different ways. I mean, think about it. Think about it. You have the lack of self-esteem. The world today, especially the psychology world, says the biggest thing that we can do to help kids is to get them some self-esteem. That's contrary to what the Word of God teaches. The lack of self-esteem is actually pride. Overzealous leaders, pride. The timidness. Or, or fear of man when preaching the gospel? Do you realize that's pride? Stubbornness? Being easily irritated? It's all pride. It's, I mean, I, I heard a sermon by Paul Washer one time, and he was, telling, he was telling about a girl that came in, going back to the self-esteem thing. He was, there was a young lady that came in, and she was just broken, heartbroken, feeling terrible, and he asks her what the deal is, and she says, well, I'm ugly and nobody loves me. <laughs> and Paul Washer, not ever really beating around the bush, says, well, you need to repent. She's like, what? And I, I remember hearing this, and I was like, golly, that's harsh even for Paul Washer. Right? But he says, no, you need to repent, and then he explains himself. He says, you're really, you, don't, you don't believe that. You don't believe you're ugly and that nobody loves you. What you mean is you're not the prettiest and you're not everybody's everybody doesn't dote over you. You're not the center of everybody else's world. And I was like, wow. That really makes sense. So many times a lack of self-esteem isn't that I don't care about myself. I don't love myself. The what it really is is that I don't love my I mean everybody else doesn't love me as much as I do. And that's really what the lack of self-esteem is. What is that? That's pride. And you think about like the fear of man, and I deal with it any time I preach the gospel. You start thinking, I mean, it's just like you start picturing things and what could happen and you're, you're afraid. Well, what am I really afraid of? Am I afraid of reproach on Christ? I'm really not. Sometimes I'll say that, well, I just don't want to hear people, you know, talk bad about my Lord. He can take it. He's proven it. He can take it. What's really the case is, I don't want people thinking bad about me. Pride. I esteem myself higher than I should. All the time. Being easily irritated. 
getting irritated because you're trying to, you got this going on. Nate talked about this in the equipping hour several months ago. How you get so focused and then your kids come up and you're just irritated. Like, can't you see? I'm trying to do this. It's pride. It's putting what you're doing more important than everybody else. And how much would we, how much would we improve our witness to the world? How much would we improve our relationships with each other, our relationships with our family, if we would do what Peter said here and clothe ourselves with humility? Now, that's easy to say, but how do we do that? How do we clothe? He says, clothe ourselves in, in this humility. But how do we do that without getting all pride and puffed up about our new humility? Anybody ever struggled with that? Like, yeah, I did it. I overcame it. I'm humbled. I was. There for a split second, I had humility. And now I'm proud about my humility. I mean, it's a, it's a constant battle. So how do we do that? How do we clothe ourselves with humility? It's very simple. We compare ourselves to Christ. I can find somebody to compare myself to and I can get puffed up in pride. I can find faults. I can find faults in people who are prominent. And I can say, look at that. I'm better than that guy, especially in this area. And I can get all puffed up in pride. But when I compare myself to Christ, I am found greatly lacking every time. And I think I talked about this earlier when in, in the book when Peter was talking about humility. You know, if I get pretty proud about my basketball abilities, I, when I'm playing with Grace, I can dominate her if I want to. She doesn't believe me right now, but I can. I mean, I'm taller. I can, I can reject that shot, no problem. So I can get pretty proud like that. That's what we do with our sin. I compare myself to somebody who is younger, smaller, and I can feel extremely proud. But what would, what would, severely humble me if <laughs> not OB if I played Michael Jordan even in his old age if he showed up at my house I don't think I'd be strutting around anymore right if you compare yourself to the best and that's such a low comparison I mean he's the best at basketball but I mean, you're talking about sin, and I can—I mean, I can find plenty of men to compare myself that would lower my pride. Even there's many men, especially in history. Look throughout history and find men who were really living for God. But let's just skip that step and compare ourselves to Christ, and you will always be found lacking, and you will always find humility in that because you will never meet that standard. That's how you do it, and then you also. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, and Randy preached on this recently, and they go hand in hand. I think that morning I had talked about if we would just humble ourselves, it would solve so many problems. And he said if we would just get this verse right here, it would solve so many problems within the body of Christ. It would solve so many problems within our families. It would solve so many problems... Um, within our workplace, all of our relationships. And it's chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. 
we compare ourselves to Christ, we'll be, we will put on humility. And then when we look at others, when we start to consider them, and if, especially within the body of Christ, these are children of God. These are God's sheep. And when you're dealing, whether it's, no matter the dynamic, whether it's in a pastor, like I've been greatly convicted in my position, but it's the same for you. To esteem others as better than yourself should not be that hard because you're talking about God's people. And how would he have you to treat them? And that's how we experience the grace of God. That's how it comes to us. And it's an amazing thing because you'll be more blessed through that than you will esteeming yourself ever. And we know this. We've all experienced this. We've all put ourselves aside for somebody else at a time. And when, when that happens, God greatly blesses you for it. And then it's an amazing thing. It's just like overcoming sin. We've all overcome a particular sin. And when it, at the end of that day, you're just like, wow. Thank you, God. This is such, and you have this relationship, and it feels great. And then it comes up the next day, and you know, we know the end result, and we fall anyway. And it's the same way with esteeming others higher than ourselves. We've all done that. We've all died to ourselves and put somebody else as higher than us, and we know the grace of God that comes on us in that, and the amazing feeling that that is. And yet, the next time we get the opportunity. We fail. But I'm just encouraging you, if you're comparing yourself to Christ on a normal basis, through the Scriptures, when those opportunities arise, you're much more likely to follow this in Philippians 2.3. You're much more likely to die to self and esteem others as higher than themselves. And the good news is, even when you fail, Christ is still perfect. He's still holy. The great shepherd will not let us If you belong to him, he will not let you get too far off the path, and he will come get you. He will come get you, and he'll bring you back, and he'll do it lovingly. And sometimes the loving way requires reproof. A shepherd, it's not a a case when dealing with sheep now, we don't have this because we have them in pens and fences but when they were on the open range, even now, the open range, there's still places in the world where they use open range. And the sheep, sometimes they have one that just keeps wandering off. And they go get it. It wanders off. And they go get it. You know what they do to keep it from wandering off, these little lambs? They'll break its legs. That shepherd will break the sheep's legs and carry it until it heals. And by the time that happens, the sheep will not leave the shepherd's side again. And so sometimes, and, we, and the, the entire book of Peter has been about trials, and sometimes that's the purpose of the trials. It, it may be God breaking your legs so that you will cling to him. But it, it, it's reality. And that's the great shepherd that we serve. It's just like, you know, discipline our kids, like Randy talked about this morning. We don't like it, but we know that it's necessary to keep them in line. And we have a shepherd that will do whatever is necessary to keep us from drifting too far and to protect us from the wolves and to protect us from the parasites and all of those things. And that is, for me, that is humbling.
for me, that is extremely, um, it's just amazing to know that the great shepherd would care about this individual sheep. He would care about each one of you as individual lambs. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you for this message, which I know was for me. I thank you for the conviction that you have granted me. And I pray, Lord, that I would not ignore this, that I would not make this a sermon and then move on, that this would become reality in my life. It would become reality in my service to you, in my service to my fellow sheep. God, and I pray that you would teach me Grant me the ability, grant me the wisdom, grant me the knowledge, but and teach me how. Teach me how to notice when something's wrong. Teach me how to to find and and help them to fix it and and to use your scriptures and rightly divide it. And I pray for each one that we would all really truly seek humility, that we would truly compare ourselves to Christ, and that we would find ourselves clothed in humility so that we could better honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.